0: Welcome, everyone, to the Predictably Treacherous podcast after a long hiatus, um, five months almost. uh, What can I say? There's a lot going on with COVID. I I really have no excuse um, other than uh, Elon Musk asked me to uh, prepare a design for the next generation of uh, this SpaceX rocket. So I took a few months off to do that. But I'm back now, and I'm back to... uh, important work of reviewing movies on my podcast, Elon Musk. I don't know where Elon Musk came from. Today we're going to be looking at the Canon Group of Films, Volume 2. So this is the next five-ish films in my collection of Canon films that I have, from various sources. Sometimes I have the DVD, sometimes I just uh, ripped it off of or downloaded it from YouTube. Um, In any case, uh, the films we're going to be looking at today... Enter the Ninja from 1981, Hospital Massacre, also 1981, Hercules, a complete shit show from 1983, Revenge of the Ninja, also from 1983, and lastly, we'll be looking at the wonderful masterpiece, Breakin', 1984. All you're going to do right now, mister, is get your goons off my property before I have them thrown off told you not to come back. Now I must teach you a lesson, boss. Get away from him, you son of a... First up, Enter the Ninja from 1981, starring Franco Nero, Susan George, and Sho Kosogi. Here's what Wikipedia had to say. Cole, a veteran of the Angolan Bush War, completes his ninjutsu training in Japan. Cole goes to visit his war buddy, Frank Landers, and his newlywed wife, Marianne Landers, who are the owners of a large piece of farming land in the Philippines. Cole soon finds that the Landers are being repeatedly harassed by Charles Venarius, the wealthy CEO of Venarius Industries, In order to get them to sell their property because unbeknownst to them a large oil deposit is located beneath their land cole thwarts the local henchmen venerius has hired to bully and coerce the landers venerius learning that cole is a ninja hires a ninja of his own to eliminate frank and cole hasagawa who is a rival of cole from their old training days hasagawa strikes the Landers estate at night, killing Frank in front of Marianne, then abducting her to Venerius's martial arts arena. Cole enters and picks off the henchmen one by one before ultimately killing Venereus. Hasegawa releases Marianne, and the two ninja engage in a final battle. Cole defeats, spoiler alert, Hasegawa, who begs to be allowed to die with honor, and Cole beheads him. So a little background on the production of the film. Um, The film was actually based on an original story by Mike Stone, who was a a martial artist, like a professional martial artist at the time. And I guess he was involved in like stunt coordination and fight choreography and some other action movies. Um, So initially Mike Stone was supposed to star in the role, but I guess was replaced by uh, Franco Nero, uh at some point in the process now after enter the ninja came out there was a brief boom in ninja related films and this film actually has two sequels or not sequels but it's um it's part of a trilogy the canon trilogy of ninja movies i don't know what they call the trilogy but the other uh the second movie in the trilogy is uh revenge of the ninja which also stars show um and it's a really good one we'll be going over that later and a Ninja 3, The Domination, which also stars Sho Khashoggi, and Lucinda Dickey, who will be in Breakin'. So getting back to the plot of the film, though, um, the Wikipedia summary, um, yeah, I mean, all that stuff is true, but it it, it doesn't really go into... Um, the film's really about, like at the beginning, Cole is training, and Show's character dislikes him because he's not Japanese, and um, so Cole is going through the training. He's obviously a really good ninja, and he's he's doing all this this stuff, and he's earned the title of ninja. But Show just is not having it. So there's a little rivalry between them, and then Cole leaves. He's finished his training. He's a full ninja, so he decides to take a job working for a hedge fund on Wall Street. Because as luck would have it, the hedge fund was looking for a ninja. No, that's not really what happened. He actually went to uh, the Philippines to visit his friend Frank and his wife. And he, he's never met the wife before, so he meets her. And, I don't know, they're clearly having problems. Like, Frank is a total alcoholic. Um, he's he's letting his life fall apart. So the wife quickly realizes Cole is, um, is very competent and is doing well with himself. So she wants whatever he has to rub off on Frank, I guess. Um, and then the, the local bad guy, the Venerius guy, whatever his name is, um, who is, like, uh, sending his henchmen to try and take over the farm, because the farm has oil on it, and um, Buddy, Frank, and uh, his wife, they don't know that. But the henchman does. He knows. So he wants the farm, so he's doing what he can to get it. Anyways, um... And that's where it is. It's just a big setup, so that the, I mean, the whole thing is is keyed on um, the the rivalry between Show and Cole. So that's how they come back together, right? Like the the henchman hiring Show to go and defeat uh, to defeat Cole. Henchman actually sends his like I don't know his right hand man back to or to Japan to look for a ninja, and it's weird. He gets there, and I think he talks to like um. An acting agent? He's like, look, I really I need a ninja, but like a real ninja. And um, the agent somehow puts him in touch with, I guess it's like ninja society, and then that's how he ends up with show. So, um, yeah, this one's not bad. Um, it's pretty good. You don't need to watch this, you know, 50 times, but, um, you know, you watch it once or twice. It's kind of fun. Um, Susan George is very attractive. Uh, there's good, like, cheesy dialogue. One of the henchmen, like the low-level henchmen, He actually has a hook for a hand. So that's kind of awesome. I mean, there's some good lines in this. It's, uh, It's nice. It's not a bad little film. Hospital Massacre, 1981, directed by Bose Davidson, who's a veteran of some other canon films. Uh, he directed a bunch of the sex comedies in the 70s, like Lemon Popsicle and some other ones like that. Um, and it's starring Barbie Benton, who um, was married to, she was a Playboy model, and I think she was. Either married or a, a partner of Hugh Hefner for a while. Um, she's been in a few other films, mostly just raunchy kind of sex comedies, I think. So, this one is, um, is like a slasher film. So, the introduction to the film, um, there's a little girl and it looks like her brother or her friend, and they're playing in, uh, with a train set in a house, and, um, Another little boy is outside the house, and he's peeking in the window. He's a bit of a creep. And then he leaves a letter at the front door and rings the doorbell and runs off. And the little girl goes to the door, gets the letter, and reads it. And it's like a valentine from this little boy. And so her and the little boy playing with the trains, they laugh, they laugh. And they're like, oh, Harold, oh, it's terrible. And then they they crinkle up the valentine throw it on the ground. So the little boy who left it Harold is looking through the window and he's mad so um he uh the little girl goes to the kitchen to cut some cake anyways and the little boy who was looking the little boy Harold looking through the window he kills the other boy and hangs him from a hat rack in the house and then when the girl comes back from the kitchen the little the other little boy is dead and hanging from a hat rack and then she immediately for some reason turns and looks to the window, even though she didn't know the boy was there spying on them. And the boy is in the window. So she sees that it's him. She sees that it's this Harold guy. And then suddenly it says, 19 years later. And you're like, what? Like, okay, so this little boy killed a little boy because they laughed at uh, a valentine that he left? That seems like an overreaction. But then the little girl knew who the killer was. And what? The guy's just out in the world now? Nothing happened? There were no consequences? Because it says 19 years later, and then it shows her like getting dropped off or or meeting her ex-husband to get her kid or something. And she's like, no, wait, i got to go to the hospital to get something. And when she gets to the hospital, there's a creepy guy peeking from the hospital window watching her approach. And it's implied that that is Harold. So it's like Harold not only got away with murder, but he um, became a doctor, and uh, he's working in the hospital now. Anyway, so she arrives at the hospital. She has to get some blood work or something. I don't know what it is. Oh, you know what it is? She has to get some blood work um, for her physical, for, she's starting a new job, and she has to qualify for health insurance, because it's tied to her job what the hell are you guys doing down there? Just give everybody health care. It's silly. And anyway, she gets there, and, and the guy, Harold or whatever, is toying with her. He's toying with her. But he's going to kill her eventually. And it's just a regular slasher movie at that point, so he has to kill some other people along the way. Um, there's not much to it. It's kind of a fun little film. Yeah, so watch this one once. <laughs> ¶¶ Next one up is Hercules, 1983, uh, directed by Luigi Cozzi, who also directed other canon features. Um, Prior to this, he did Contamination, which was 1980, I believe. And uh, that one was good. We went over that one in Volume 1 of the canon group of films that I own. Um, He also did, after this, The Adventures of Hercules 2, and, uh, oh, there's Paganini Horror by Fabrizio Angles. He's the producer for that. That was a terrible movie. Um, it looks like he did Star Crash as well, which is uh, 1979. That's supposed to be like um, a, a movie that's um, taking advantage of the success of Star Wars, I think. But it looks good. I haven't seen it, but I do have it. I'm going to watch it. Um, also starring, uh, Hercules is also starring Lou Ferrigno, of course, the... Lou Ferrigno's the bodybuilder. I guess his, uh, he became famous um, in the Pumping Iron movie. He was the rival to Arnold Schwarzenegger. So Lou Ferrigno's, um he was Mr. Universe a couple times in the 70s. He's, uh, if you haven't seen him, um, he's a big dude. He's uh, super ripped. He doesn't even look real. Um, he's done a few other movies too and shows and stuff like that. I guess he was in The King of Queens... And a couple other bad TV shows. He was the Incredible Hulk, the original one from the 80s. Yeah, and he obviously he did uh, Hercules Part Two, also directed by the same director. Uh, what's it called? The Adventures of Hercules Two. And uh, I think he's done a couple other films as well. And then Sybil Danning, I guess she did like uh, kind of B movies, like sex movies from like the 70s and the 80s and stuff like that. <clears throat> not sex, movie, not like porn, but. Um, You know, like uh, sex comedies and uh, other B-movies. So this movie is uh, like a giant mess. Um, I didn't really know what what was going on. It was really hard to follow. It seems really like uh, thrown together. Like the plot didn't make any sense. There's like, um, right after the really loud score that I just played, a guy talks for about, like a narrator, he talks for like two or three minutes trying to explain what's happening in the story or how we got to this point. And he's basically like, oh, in the beginning there was nothing and all this. And then um, uh, then Pandora's jar, uh, whatever, like not Pandora's box, Pandora's jar. But it doesn't show a jar, it shows like a vase. And it's in space and it blows up and it becomes the planets and, and like the gods and stuff. And what the hell is going on? Anyways, um... So the idea behind this story is, uh, here. here's what it says in Wikipedia. The film is a retelling of the story of Hercules battling the wizard king Minos, um, who uses, quote, science in an attempt to take over the world. Hercules must stop him and rescue his princess love in the process. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think Hercules has to do like a couple of chores Like, he has to vacuum the rug and uh, feed the cats. No, he does, He does like, these tasks, like, these arduous chores. So he has to clean out the stables. And they're like, well, stables are super dirty. How are you going to do it? Because there's a time factor. Like, you know, he has to do it by the next day or something. So he diverts this water and, um, like, a river. And he has the river, like, wash out these stone stables. So that's fine. And then he has to, like... I don't know, Plowfield or something. I don't know what it is, but it's just really silly. The, the movie just sucks. And then the, um, I mean, it goes without saying, the special effects are really bad. Okay, so the special effects are really bad, but it doesn't make it good. Like it would in some movies where it would make it funny. Um, I'm thinking of like the Don Dohler films where the special effects are really, really bad, really low-key, and um, but it makes the film better. Right. Um, it's in the right context. But this one, it just makes the film worse. It looks terrible. It, it made the plot really confusing, hard to follow. This one's not fun. I would definitely skip this one. Um I like I said, I had a lot of trouble just getting through it. I I think I watched it in like, you know, I watched twenty minutes, and I watched another half an hour, then I watched fifteen minutes, and I watched five minutes. It took me like five or six tries to get through the whole movie, so This isn't even a very good segment in the the old podcast here. I don't even remember most of the movie. I'm kind of just riffing. But yeah, it was terrible. Don't see it. Don't watch it. It was really bad. I was disappointed, too. I wanted this one to be really good. I guess because look at what Conan the Barbarian and Conan the Destroyer were um, for Arnold. Uh, Those were fantastic films. Like, really, really good. I think I kind of wanted... Hercules to be like that and that's why I'm so uh like like I'm, I'm so disappointed in it because it was just horrendous it was not like that at all um yeah so it's not really fair for Lou Ferrigno but uh yeah the movie's terrible just skip it you don't need to watch this one next one up is Revenge of the Ninja from 1983 starring Sho Kishogi. this one was directed by Sam Furstenberg and he went on to direct uh, Ninja 3, The Domination, also with Shokishogi. Um Breakin' 2, Electric Boogaloo, American Ninja, American Ninja 2. So a bunch of canon films. So let's go over a little summary of the film. So Shokashoge plays a character called Cho. So most of Cho's family... The first 10 minutes are incredible. Most of Cho's family is killed by ninjas... As a part of an ongoing and endless cycle of revenge killings. So Cho is in the forest walking around with his friend from America. And he returns back to his home and he finds that his family have all been killed. And he and his friend Braden, played by Arthur Roberts. um, They kill the ninjas who are waiting there to ambush and kill Cho. So... At this point, Braden tries to convince Cho to come to America to exhibit his art, which are these really cool, like, ninja action figures. They're around 12 inches in size. I think they call them dolls. Um, so Cho's mother is the actually the only other survivor. Well, okay, so Cho, when his family was killed, his mother survived, his, like, old mother, and his uh, his young infant son and the mother, she voices her concerns. She says basically she doesn't trust Braden. Uh, she kind of says it right to his face. Anyway, so next thing you know, Cho is in America, and he's opening his doll art gallery with the help of his friend Braden, and Kathy, who is Braden's assistant. She is, uh, she's like foxy, and she ends up having a thing for Cho. Cho's son Kane accidentally one day breaks one of the dolls um, and we become aware that Braden and Kathy are using the dolls as cover to smuggle heroin into the country. So Braden, uh, he looks kind of like an evil Will Ferrell. Um, he has an arrangement with an Italian mobster who looks like a poor man's Joe Pesci um, to sell the heroin. But when the mobster stalls on delivery of the payment, Braden kind of goes into ninja mode. So we didn't know Braden was a ninja up to this point. Um, but he gets like, he opens up this briefcase and he pulls out this awesome death mask that he wears when he's, uh, he's getting into ninja mode. And um, he starts killing all the mobster's crew. Um, so the mobster then retaliates by having... A bunch of thugs go over to the gallery and just steal the dolls with all the heroin in them. And um, Cho actually interrupts them while they're trying to steal all the dolls. And there's this long, like, fight chase scene. Um, At some point, Braden shows up at the art gallery. He's also looking for the dolls, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, But he actually, when he's there, he finds uh, Cho's mother. And it turns out Cho's mother is a skilled martial artist as well. So Brayden has a battle with her, but he does kill her in the end. And he tries to kill Kane, um, but he's not able to. Kane gets away. So then Brayden, this is where it gets weird too. Well, yeah, it's already weird, but it gets weird. Brayden hypnotizes his assistant, Kathy. Kathy's kind of in love with Cho, so she doesn't want to see him done harm. Um, she is working with Brayden to smuggle the heroin, but she doesn't want bad things to happen to Cho. So anyways, Brayden has to hypnotize her, and he does it so that she'll go and capture Kane, and she does, and she brings him back, and she's coming out of her hypnosis, Um, and Brayden basically has to tie Kathy up and put her to a, a slow death. Um, She does uh she's able to escape briefly i can't remember exact details but basically she's able to escape from this briefly and call cho to warn him about what's going on but i think she does eventually die a slow death i I should remember but it's not really consequential to the plot so um so anyway she's able to inform cho that brayden is a ninja and that he has betrayed him and he intends to kill him. So Brayden catches Kathy, puts her to the slow death, right? And then um, Cho realizes that basically he can't run away from his past. And so he prepares to confront Brayden. See, up to this point, Cho had sworn off being a ninja. He was like, look, this has led to all my family getting killed. I'm going to move to America, play with my dolls. I'm not going to be a ninja anymore. I'm not going to do the bad stuff. But now he realizes, I can't run away from my past. I've got to... I've got to face it. So he gets ready, gets into ninja mode. And then he goes to this—it's these, uh, it's, like a, it's like an office building where the mobster works out of. And uh, it's like 20 floors kind of thing. And he goes there to confront Braden because Braden is going there to kill the mobster to confront him and his boys. So Braden's there to kill the mobster and his guys and Cho shows up to confront Braden. So basically they have a big showdown um, in the office building and it ends on the roof of the office building, and uh, Cho is able to kill Brayden in the end. So that's it. It's uh, it's really good. Very, very well done, a lot of fun. So I would say, you know, it's a good plot, like it's, it's fairly good. I mean, it's pretty simple, but it's pretty straightforward. There's nothing tricky about it. Um, there's lots of action. There's no wasted scenes like the movie moves along very quickly. Um, I'll say I loved Brayden's mask and Brayden was evil and he was killing lots of people. That was really good. The mobster was really good. Um, And I, I liked how Cho tried to run away from his past or run away from who he was. But ultimately he wasn't able to escape who he was. I thought that was really that that was that was a pretty cool kind of theme. Um, you know, Cho wanted to reinvent himself, but he just he couldn't. I mean, he's a ninja and he he couldn't get away from that. I don't know. Anyways, that was really good. Uh, things I didn't like? I, Kang, there's a couple of scenes where sorry, what's his name, Kang or Kane, the son. He's like a little boy, he's like 6 or 7 or something. And he's, he's fighting other little boys like martial arts. It's, it's silly and it's dumb. And uh, anytime there's kids doing stuff like that, it's just it's bullshit. So, yeah, that was the one part I didn't like. But otherwise, though, the movie was fantastic. It was really good. I'm going to give it a rating of uh, a verdict of very rewatchable. Okay, up next, Breakin from 1984 starring Linda Dickey. Shabadoo, Boogaloo, Shrimp. I don't know where they get these names. These guys have other names, but um, these are the three main people in it. And it's directed by Joel Silberg. And it looks like Joel Silberg was involved in uh, Breakin'. Of course, Breakin' Two, Electric Boogaloo, Rappin'. Another one I hope to go over at some point. That was incredible. Um, and uh, the Lombada. It's Lombada. It's not the Lombada. It's Lombada. Anyways, uh, so that's quite a quite a career. <laughs> okay, so let's give a little summary. So you've got this great intro um, with there's this graffiti that's going on a wall, and there's lots of like dancing and music and stuff. It's it's really spot on for a movie like this. So Kelly, Lucinda Dickey, she works as a waitress in um, like a Denny style diner. Um, but she wants to be a dancer, so good start. Um, Her friend from dance class introduces her to Ozone Mm -hmm. and Turbo uh, and the world of street dancing, Um, and she likes it. She's kind of intrigued by it, and uh, Ozone, he kind of likes Kelly right away. So soon after this, Kelly's dancing world is kind of turned on its head when her prick instructor makes a pass at her and she rebuffs him. So she then starts to pursue other dancing options through auditions set up by her new agent. So meanwhile, Ozone and Turbo are being challenged on the street, uh, their street cred, by a rival gang of street dancers called Electro Rock, which is a great name by the way. They dance battle one night at a a nightclub, and things are are pretty even until, during the dance fight, the rival gang reveals their third member, a female member, uh, and she propels them to victory. So um, Ozone and Turbo decide that they are going to work with Kelly, and she's going to be Special K. Uh, and they're going to form an elite dancing unit that is capable of defeating their rival gang, Electro-Rock. So Kelly actually brings her agent to the club to watch them perform against Electro-Rock. And they, they destroy them in an epic dance fight at the club. The agent's there, and he loves it. He's very impressed. And um, so he wants to work with them all. So Kelly wants to use this street dance routine to win a big competition in the legit dance world, right? Um, She wants to use her agent to get them there, and the agent, he's up for it, so he tries to get them in, although he thinks it's gonna be hard to do so. So Ozone, he is fully in love with Kelly at this point, and he gets kind of jealous of uh, Kelly's relationship with the agent and anyone, basically, and he tries to sabotage anything who that represents kind of like the non-street world so he pouts and, and he attempts sabotage anything um, but he's eventually convinced that they need to work together so in the final showdown I guess so to speak the crew beats out the evil dance instructor and his team or his troop in the um, the kind of auditions for the big competition. So there's a big competition, everybody's auditioning, the the evil prick guy and his team versus Kelly and her street team. And they defeat the um the traditional the the prick team. So basically um then the resolution, that's that's the showdown, but then we have the resolution. So the resolution is there's a big dance performance put on for everybody. Well, you know, it's like it's a legit thing, like a like a like Broadway style, that kind of thing. And it's basically like it's called Street Jazz, and uh, it's starring Turbo, Ozone, Special K, and other street dancers, including dancers from rival gang Electro Rock. That was very nice. Showed real solidarity. Um, yeah, so it's good. It's a fantastic film. You know what you're getting out of this? I mean, it's it's a like a it's a movie about like dancers and stuff like street dancing so it's fun it's totally a lot of fun um i would say one of the the kind of themes that seems to come up again and again in this is uh the theme of fitting in so this kind of came up several times during the film including at the audition when the head judge is he's going to he was going to prevent the crew from auditioning and he says that they don't fit in with what we're looking for also kelly special k she doesn't really fit in with traditional dancing uh but she finds a better fit with the street dancers anyway this seemed to come up again and again so it's kind of cool um i like that one scene that doesn't fit in at all in this movie, I don't know how it made it in, is they actually, Special K, Ozone, and Turbo, go out to uh, a country bar. And there's a big brawl at the country bar. And it just it doesn't fit at all. I have no idea why they left that scene in the movie. It doesn't make any sense. The best scene I thought in the movie was, was definitely the, the dance battle against Electro Rock at the club. Okay, so I'm going to say break-in, highly rewatchable. Very good film. Thank you for listening today. Check out the show notes for this episode or any episode at ptpod.podbean.com. The show notes contain links to all my sources and products that were referenced during the episode. You can write a glowing review of my podcast on iTunes or at Google Play. There are handy links in my website at ptpod.podbean.com. And you can support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash ptpod. The intro music for today's episode was Sweeter Vermouth, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Check out the link in the show notes.